Well, good morning, everyone. It is so good to be with you in the house of the Lord. Amen. And we want to name in from the den today, too. We want to welcome those online. I want to welcome those that may be joining us for the first time today. If I've yet to meet you, my name's Andy. I serve alongside Pastor Ann here at The Way. And we're just grateful that you're here joining with us. We want you to know that you're always welcome to be a part of this movement of faith where we are committed to what? Sharing in hope, living with purpose for the sake of others. Speaking of for sake of others, I just want to give a shout out this morning, you know, because part of worship is testimony, right? Part of worship's testimony. It's a way to testify to God's goodness. And I just want to give a shout out to all of you for your generosity of heart and, and in giving because our Mission Outreach Task Force met last week. That's a group of, of people that meet together to discern how to send out the portion of our offerings that goes out in the community. And I want you to know because of your generosity and some specific giving, there's over $3,500 that's going to Harvest Church right down the street that's working with Ukrainian refugees as well as UMCOR that's helping with what's going on overseas and as y'all know we have welcomed a ukrainian family into our home and and they're going to be blessed by your generosity and i just want to thank you for that but that three thousand five hundred dollars is on top of you ready for this twenty four thousand dollars year to date that has been earmarked and set aside for local mission and ministry amen amen that's because of your giving. Our, our, our youth went to Encompass Ministries this past week and helped pack out the shelves and rebuild some things that had collapsed. And we fund them. We fund Never Alone. We fund Must Ministries. Y'all know that we helped charter the Homeless Coalition, and they're going to get their next installment of our commitment to them. There's amazing ways in which our generosity of heart and giving is touching the lives of others. And I just want to thank you because it's all for the sake of others. Amen? Amen. 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 So this morning, we're going to continue in this series that we started a few weeks ago. This summer, we're in a series of Back to the Basics, Back to the Basics of Our Faith. And we've been doing that by asking questions. Maybe it's a question you have. Maybe it's a question I have. Maybe it's a question that's being asked of us as it relates to our faith. And so I'm going to cut to the chase this morning and ask you the question we're going to reflect on today. And that is this. If you were asked, what is salvation? What is salvation? What would your answer be? What would your answer be to that question? People are asking that question. Maybe you're asking that question. I asked some of our worship team, I went to our choir this past week on a text thread, and I said, hey, what, how would you, what would you say to this? And, and they had some phenomenal answers. Forgiveness, pardon, freedom, cleansing were some of those. And, and, and my favorite was a phrase that Trisha shared. She said, acknowledging that I need someone to save myself from myself. I resemble that remark. Any of y'all resemble that remark? That's a great way of looking at salvation, right? But as great as those questions or those answers were, the questions that kind of came out from that for me was, all right, it's not just what is salvation, right? There are those that are asking, why do we need to be saved? Why do I need to be saved? Anybody anybody ever encountered that? Why do I need to be saved? How am I saved? Who or what saves me? There's, that's, that's a lot of questions as you think about it as it relates to salvation. And so I want to invite you in this morning to journey with me as we turn to God's word, as we turn to an encounter that Jesus has with an individual and reflect on what is it, what is salvation and how it can change and transform our lives and our relationships. So turn with me to chapter 19 of the gospel according to Luke. And there's an encounter with Jesus and a a tax man named Zacchaeus. And I want to read for us the first 10 verses of chapter 19 of Luke's gospel. Hear God's word for us. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. 
A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He's gone to be a guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Lord, I am overjoyed and humbled at the same time to enter into your presence, along with so many here and those that are joining us from at home. God, I pray in these moments, Lord, that we would meditate not just upon the written word, but Lord, that we would encounter the living word, your son, Jesus Christ, in a profound way, in a life-changing way, in a life-inspiring way. So God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would be free to move in and amongst us, and that the meditations of our minds and our hearts and the words of my mouth would be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And the church said, amen, amen. You know, my first thought when I read this, and I was thinking about Jesus inviting himself over to Zacchaeus' house, it, it took me back to, to when my kids were young. I don't know about y'all. I don't know if y'all have ever had young kids that have kind of invited themselves over to someone else's house. You ever had that happen? I, I, we, inevitably, as a kid, I mean, kids are innocent like that. They kind of invite themselves else, self-invite themselves over for a play date and whatnot, and whether parents are good with it or not, or even if the friend's good with it or not, right? But, you know, we grow up and, and we're taught that that's not actually the way to go about it, right? We don't invite ourselves over to someone else's house. Rather, the more appropriate thing is for us to invite someone to our house. But that's not what we see unfolding in this encounter, is it? We, we find that Jesus has invited himself over to Zacchaeus' house. And this is an unusual thing, not just in our day, but in that day, especially in that day, for someone to invite themselves over as Jesus did. But Jesus is anything but ordinary, isn't he? And his response is like that as well. Because the very few words that we hear of Jesus, we find these. Today, salvation has come to this house. There it is. Salvation. Which brings me back to the question that I posed to you. What is salvation what is salvation well i love to dial back and look below the trans translation we have here in english and get back to the greek you know i I tease we all sometimes i'm the geek that gets into the greek and the greek here the word behind salvation is this soteria can y'all say that with me soteria soteria it means to save to bring to safety it means deliverance it means salvation In a word, salvation means rescue. In another word, salvation means reconciliation. Rescue. Reconciliation. This is at the heart of what soteria means. And it's at the heart of what Jesus is all about. 
But if salvation means rescue and reconciliation, the implication is that Zacchaeus needs this. That somehow he needs to be rescued. Somehow he needs to be reconciled. So what is it that he's in danger of, that he needs to be rescued from? What, what is it or who is it that he needs to be reconciled with? Well, Luke gives us hints at this as we look in this story that we find. Uh, the first thing that we find is that, you know, Zacchaeus, he's a wee little man, right? You know how the song goes? He's a wee little man, am I, right? There we go. Some of y'all know that song. But, you know, it's not his height. It's not his stature that's at issue, is it? Rather, it's his posture and his disposition toward those around him. You see, Zacchaeus is a tax collector. I don't think we like tax collectors today, do we? (laughs) Yeah, amen to that, right? But especially in that day, tax collectors, and, and, and not only tax collectors, but this man, Zacchaeus, was a chief tax collector. I mean, he's like grew with minions. I mean, he sent out other tax collectors underneath his call to go out and collect the taxes. And oftentimes they would charge more than what was due to Rome. And they'd skim off the top. And so Zacchaeus was looked upon as someone that you didn't want to see come knocking at your door. You didn't want to welcome in. He was thought of as pond scum. In fact, the word on the street that day was Jesus had gone to go and hang out with what? A sinner. A sinner. You know, if you like Saturday Night Live, the church lady would have a heyday with Zacchaeus, right? That's, that's how Zacchaeus is described to us. And the bystanders didn't just take issue at Zacchaeus and what he's doing, but they took issue with Jesus because what? He's going to hang out with this dude, this sinner, this guy that's mistreated them, that's, that's, that's done them wrong. How dare he do that? You see, cancel culture was alive and well in that day just as it is today. Can I get an amen to that? And, and they saw this playing out as something that was not good, not good at all. You see, Zacchaeus was in true need of rescue. And he was in true need of reconciliation. He was in need and rescue of the way in which he had harmed the community. And he was in need of reconciling not only to the community, but also, and more importantly, to God who created him. If you see, Zacchaeus is like you and I. Zacchaeus is a reflection of a life marred by sin. We don't like that word, do we? And it's sin that entered in from the very beginning, from Adam and Eve, from their act in the garden where they chose to be like God rather than be with God. And it caused all kinds of havoc in their relationship, not just with God, but with one another. Because what did they start doing with each other? How many of us have been pointing fingers, especially over the last 48 hours on social media? We do a good job at pointing fingers at one another, at calling each other names, at tearing apart at the fabric of relationships it began all the way back in the garden Zacchaeus was experiencing it we experience that even today you know we we don't like to think that we're any different than Zacchaeus or Adam or Eve or fill in the blank fill in the person that you're thinking about I'm not like that person y'all ever said that ever thought that right you may not want to acknowledge it but that's where we are But Apostle Paul reminds us of something in in his letter that's my favorite letter. I I was telling the earlier group here that, you know, I love Romans. In fact, the small group that I'm a part of, there's some that missed yesterday, and we thought we were going to finish chapter 16. We didn't get out of 15, y'all. 
And, and, and some of y'all rejoined after having been gone for several months and realized that they had left at chapter 11 and we're still in chapter 15. Yeah. We're, we are the disciples when it comes to Romans. But as we were reading, I was taken back and I was reflecting of what Paul said back in chapter 3. And this is what he writes. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, there's no difference among us. Not a single difference between us. All. That's all, y'all. Each of us. Every one of us. Have sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God. Have fallen short of God's best for our life. Have fallen short of what God desires for us to be and to do and to be in relationship with one another. None of us get a free pass. So would you turn to one another now and say, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. Now would you turn to that same person and say, you're a sinner too? We're in good company, aren't we? Right? But here's the sobering thing. When we begin to acknowledge that, we have to keep reading in Paul's letter. And he says this later in chapter 6. The wages of sin is what? Death. Death. And he's not talking about just a literal death. And yes, that's part of it. That's, that's part of what sin entered into the world is it brought physical death. He's talking about the emotional. He's talking about the relational. He's talking about the spiritual death that happens when we allow our selfishness and our sinfulness to lead how we think and what we say and what we post and how we react to one another and how it separates, creates a wedge between us and ultimately between us and God. You you see, sadly, we live in a day and time which we don't like to talk about sin, right? Or the brokenness that comes out of it. We live in a day and time when many dismiss the reality that there is a God, that there is a supernatural being that's outside of time and space but wants to desire and enter into time and space to walk alongside us. We live in a day and time when we settle for the idea that all that's needed and all that we should aspire to is just to be good. We live in a day and a time when a tremendous amount of people claim to be spiritual, they believe in life after death, but they think that the only thing necessary in order to experience that, to encounter that, is simply to be good. But you see, therein lies the problem. Because how do we determine what is good? Do you determine? Do I determine? Does culture determine? Because that's often where we settle for it. And the reality is is that you and I and the culture and the community around us, we're subjective in what is good, and we're subject to change in time. This is what we call in these days, it's a pervasive thought that's in the Western thought. And I invite you to Google it. It's called moral therapeutic deism. That's a big word, but it's pervasive, and it's not just in culture. It's, it's pervasive in the church today. And you would like part of the definition. Part of it, would you would say yes. And then there's part of it that you would say, that's, that's not quite right. And that's how slippery it is. Let me give you a little bit of a perspective on it. Moral therapeutic deism promotes that God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other. I'd agree with that. Do you agree with that? Scripture teaches us that. But then moral therapeutic goes on to say that our primary goal in life is to be happy. And to feel good about oneself. To be happy. And to feel good about oneself. 
Well, I dare say when we settle for that, we settle for something less than God's best. We settle for something less. And that line of thought has us thinking that life after death, that's all that's necessary is that we are good. But Jesus in his red letters, I tell you what, you know, as nice as he can be sometimes, he can, he can be cutthroat with his words. There's a place where he says this, why do you call me good when someone called him good? And he goes on to declare, no one is good except God alone. No one is good except God alone. You see, here's the truth this morning. Good people don't go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. Let me say that again. Good people don't go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. And I got news for you. We can't save ourselves. Only God can, he has, and he offers to save each of us and all of us. All of us. Let me repeat that again. We cannot save ourselves. Never have, never will. Any of you tried? I have. Any of you dealt with an addiction or dealt with a bad habit or dealt with a bad thought or dealt with something or got caught up in in the social media spiral? You thought you were in a good mood and you come out in a funk because of what you see? You see, we can't save ourselves, can we? We cannot save ourselves. Only Christ Jesus can rescue us from our sinfulness and to reconcile us to God. And it's in that that we find that he makes it possible for us to be reconciled to one another in our relationships. You see, when it comes to salvation, only one person can save us. It's Jesus. What's the namesake of our church? We're called what? The way. What is it that Jesus declares in the upper room? I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus says. And I love John. John, the the beloved disciple, the one that captured those words of Jesus in the upper room. He walked with Jesus. He heard him teach. He watched him heal. He watched him go sit there with Zacchaeus. And he captured what was perhaps the most prominent and most memorable verse of all of Scripture, John 3.16, earlier, where he writes, For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son into the world, that whoever believes in him shall not what? Perish. That's wages of sin. But have everlasting life. But you know, so often we use that as a bumper sticker, and we fail to see the next part. Verse 17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. To save. Sozo. Sozo is the word behind save. It's, it's akin to soteria. And it's to save. And what we find here is that Jesus talks about today salvation has come to Zacchaeus' house. Because the Lord has come to seek the lost and to save them. This John got in his gospel This is what Jesus comes to do. You see, we can't save ourselves, but only Christ can and he does. This is the extravagant, extravagant grace of God offered to each and to all and to everyone. Yeah, I love the way that Paul picked up on this understanding from Jesus. And you know, Paul was one that was a rule follower. Any of y'all rule followers in here? I'm one of those, I like to be on time. You know, I like to follow the rules, right? I'm OCD like that. Saul did that. It wasn't good enough. 
It was only until he encountered Jesus that it forever changed his life and his outlook on what it means to be in relationship with God. But Paul also got the fact that not only was he to be discipled, but to be a disciple maker. You know, all of us here are not only here to be discipled, but to disciple someone else. And one of those disciples of Paul is Titus. And Paul writes this in chapter 3 of Titus. It says, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Y'all, what's happened over the last 48 hours? We've done a good job of sparring with one another. No different than Paul's day, was it? But, and I love the word but, when there's a but in Scripture. Chapter, verse 4 says, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of the rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. You see, it's Jesus that saves us from the disruption and the destruction of our disobedience. Let me say that again. It is Jesus who saves us from the disruption and the destruction of our disobedience. We do a pretty good job of tearing things up, tearing our relationship, don't we? Jesus is the only one that can bind and repair and rebuild. And not only that, we become heirs, as Paul would talk about. We've looked at that here in worship several weeks ago. Heirs and co-heirs of Christ, we become part of the family of God again. We begin to be reunited, and God says we're family. We're family. We're family. Yet, no doubt, I can't help but believe that's exactly what Zacchaeus began to experience when Jesus entered into his house. Jesus chose to go sit and meet with him right where he is. When Jesus chose to enter into his life on his terms and to share the grace and love of God with him. For Zacchaeus to begin to feel what it was like to be family again, to be reunited again. That offers for us, too isn't it? Which leads me to one last question I want us to explore this morning, and that is this. What must you and I do in order to be saved? What must we do? I love the way that a jailer encounters Paul. The jailer is the one charged with keeping an eye on Paul. This is in Acts 16. Paul's been falsely accused. He's been in prison. This jailer's tasked with seeing him and several other prisoners. And, and there's, a, there's a marvelous work of God taking place at that time. And the jailer comes back and says, what must I do to be saved? What must I be to be saved? What must you and I do to be saved? Well, Paul puts it this way. His response to that jailer was this. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You know, there's a lot of people that are critical of Paul. So if you can't take Paul as word, take the word of Jesus. Because this is coming from Jesus' own lips. Because the very first words, the oldest gospel, Gospel of Mark, Mark 1.15, the very first words we hear out of Jesus' mouth in that gospel is this. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Repent and believe. That's it. 
That's what it is required for salvation, to repent and believe. You can't earn your way. Any of y'all that have preschoolers, you know how they move the clip up, you know, good behavior. You can't get your clip moved up off the chart. You can't get any stars on the chart. You can't earn your way. You can't buy your way into a relationship with God. Only through Christ you can do that by repenting and believing. So what does repent and believe mean? Well, it's to turn and to trust. Might be an easy way to put that. You see, repentance means to turn. It means to turn and to change one's mind. And that happens the moment we realize that we've gone down the wrong road on our own and it's not going well for us. You know, I hate to admit it when I've gone down the wrong way driving and I have to acknowledge to my wife I made a, I took a shortcut and it ended up being a long cut, right? You kind of have to walk back. You know, and, y'all, and y'all been there? Never. Yeah, I'm not, never. Yeah, thank you. All right, at least there's at least one honest other man in here. You see, repentance happens when we realize that we've been going down our way and having it our way, and it's not going well, and that we need to go a different way, God's way. And here's the truth. Repentance is never fun, but it's necessary. I don't know about you, but I don't like getting real with my sin. I don't like looking in the mirror at times. Any of y'all resemble that remark, too? You see, repentance is never fun, but it's necessary. And I I came across a, a blog this past week, and I regret that I didn't write down the name or the url before i got clicked out of the the browser but it's worth sharing with you because i had journaled this the writer wrote these words repentance isn't negotiating or bargaining with god about how much sin you can keep in your life and still be saved it's a total transformation of the direction attitude and function of our wills You see, it's a total transformation of the direction, attitude, and function of our wills. I don't know about you, but we like to barter. We like to negotiate, don't we? We're called to surrender. (laughs) We're called to turn. We're called to repent. Jesus calls us first to repent. To repent. And that means getting honest with ourselves, getting honest with our own brokenness. Yes, we have been harmed. Can I get an amen? There have been things, there have been people that have mistreated you and done you wrong. But we've got to get real with ourselves first. And that's what Jesus is dealing with, is for us to repent, to turn ourselves. And in that, we then turn and believe to trust. It's to turn and to trust. So what does it mean to believe? Well, believe is to believe that God's grace is sufficient for you. That his grace is sufficient for your life, that for your wrongdoing and for your, your, your misgivings, his grace is sufficient for me. His grace is sufficient for you. I don't know about you, but sometimes I doubt that. But we shouldn't. His grace is sufficient for you, for me, and for all. That's something worth believing in. It also means believing in taking Jesus at his word when he's on the cross. When, when he's laid down his life for you and for me and for all of humanity, when he's taken on the wages of sin, death, upon himself, he's taken him at his word when he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. To believe that you too are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. It, it means believing that Jesus not only has the power to forgive you, but to set you free, to bring healing, to bring wholeness to your life, to bring purpose to your life. That's what it means to believe in Christ Jesus. You see, believing in Christ is what moves us from the rejection of self. I don't know about you, but sometimes we reject our worth, right? We don't think we're worthy to following someone better. 
Better said, believing is fully trusting that God's ways are better than our own. Believing is fully trusting that God's ways are better than our own. You see, to repent and believe is to turn toward and to trust God's grace for your life through faith in Christ Jesus. This, this is what salvation is. It's a relationship with the one and only Savior, Jesus Christ, and his invitation to not only come to your house, but to invite you to his house. You know, I love the way that John Wesley, he's the founder of the Methodist movement, which we're a part of here at the Way Woodstock. And John Wesley gave this analogy, and I want to leave you with this illustration. He said, you know, picture salvation as a house, God's house. And repentance is when we turn off the street that we're on, down the sidewalk and up onto the porch of God's house. It's that turning from where we're going to toward God. And it's in believing that we find ourselves at the front door and the door's wide open. That's what repenting and believing is all about. But you see, there's more in store for us than simply sitting there leaning against the door open to us and repenting and believing. God wants to invite us in to fellowship with him. Isn't that what Jesus said in John 14? I go before you to prepare a place for you, you know, Father's house, it's a big, big house with lots and lots of room. Y'all know that song too, right? Some of y'all do anyway, right? That's from John 14. You know, he's gone to prepare a place for us. He wants to invite us in. I had the beautiful opportunity to join with the praise team. They, they, they showered one of their own. Joanne's about to have a baby on Wednesday. Amen, jo- Joanne? I mean, she's ready for this. Scheduled delivery. Y'all will be in prayer for her and Zach. And uh, we're excited to celebrate with them. But what I did is I sat back and I saw 15, 16 some odd people marvel at the context of being in communion with one another, laughing, playing games, eating a diaper cake. I mean, it was all, it was fun stuff, right? It was a onesie. Well, okay. A onesie, a diaper, you know, same thing, right? But there there was chocolate in it. And down near the bottom, I, whatever. I digress. But here's the deal. You're, you're getting it by your laughter. Life happens in the home. Life happens around the table. Life happens when we're able to fellowship and to laugh and to cry and, and to find shelter and to find connection. You see, the beautiful thing about this story is that Jesus is willing to walk into your life and into your home just as it is, just as you are. He loves you too much to leave you as you are. He wants to invite you into his home. God's home. It's where we belong. It's where we've always belonged. And it's salvation that makes it possible. And the beautiful thing about that is when we begin to embrace that, well, things begin to change in our life. I don't know about you, but, you know, when you send your kids to someone else's house, what do you you often forewarn them? You know what? They might have a little different set of rules or way they live in and all that kind of stuff, right? You know, be a good guest. You ever, at least I hope y'all tell your kids that. If they come over to our house, please tell them that. <laughs> yeah? But you end up living differently. Well, what is it that we see Zacchaeus doing when he begins to embrace that grace for his life? When he begins to experience what it's like to be a part of the family of God again, what does he do? He's compelled to live differently. He's compelled to react and to treat people differently because what does he do? He says... 
Lord, right here now, half of what I have, I'm going to give to the poor. And if I've crossed anybody, I'm going to give them back fourfold what I took from them. You see, salvation changes us. Salvation changes our attitudes and our actions and our words and the way that we relate and treat one another, even if we see things differently. That's the beauty of salvation. And when we live into that reality, other people take notice. And they say, I want what you have. Which leads me to the final question this morning. Have you experienced salvation for yourself? If so, are other people able to see it? Are they taking notice? Maybe today is a day to rededicate your life to Christ and to his grace. And to begin to live into that reality of salvation, of repenting and believing, of turning and trusting. And if you haven't had that privilege yet of saying yes to Jesus, maybe today's the day Jesus is inviting you. He's coming over to your house. He's knocking on your door. He wants to meet you right where you are. But he loves you too much to leave you there. And so do we. So if today is a day for you to say yes, come talk to me or Ann or reach out to another brother or sister here and talk about what does it mean to walk in relationship with Jesus Christ. It's the greatest, most significant encounter you can have. It's the greatest relationship you will ever have, and it will transform every other relationship you have. I think God's inviting all of us, as he says, with the door wide open, welcome home. But we have to choose to step into it. May today be the day. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, I thank you. (laughs) Oh, you are such a gracious God and a forgiving God. So God, I thank you for this message that you've put on my heart and on our hearts and you've shared through an encounter of Jesus with Zacchaeus, how you choose to enter in and then ultimately invite us to enter in too. God, I I confessed earlier, and I'm going to confess it here again, uh, because I imagine that there are others perhaps maybe experiencing what I experienced, and that is, I confess to you those moments, those thoughts, those words, those actions, those failure of actions where I have failed to share your grace and show your grace. And so, God, I, I, I ask that you would help me to repent, to help me to turn back to you. And God, I I pray that I would be able to reclaim, I pray that we would be able to reclaim (laughs) your grace is sufficient for our lives. And God, that we begin to stop putting our trust in things and in other people and in systems and other things, but we begin to put our trust in you and you alone because that's where we are to put our faith. And so, God, I pray today is a day that we truly take to heart that salvation is offered to all and that you desire to see salvation come to this house, meaning each of our houses and to this house as a whole. Lord, thank you for your grace and thank you for your mercy. Thank you for our collective time here today. May we leave here 
walking in a way and speaking in a way that others say, I want what you have. And in that, we can share that we have salvation and that it's for them too. I ask this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And the church said, Amen. Amen. You know, as the praise team leads us, if you want to pray, I I invite you just to pray where you are. If you want to come up to the prayer rail, feel free. But let's continue to contemplate and to soak in the goodness of God. Amen.